Our scripture lesson today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through 21. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent to take the lives of all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are gone. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Good morning. I'm grateful to be asked by our co-pastors to be back in the pulpit with you again this morning. Many of you know that I'm usually asked to preach on stewardship or the spirituality of giving. And the good news is that you won't be hearing a stewardship sermon today. Although if you haven't turned in your 2020 pledge, there's still time. <clears throat> That's the good news. So the bad news is that our lectionary passage today is Herod going after the baby Jesus and all of the children under the age of two. Thank you again, Clover and Ian, for inviting me to preach on this lectionary passage. <laughs> Actually... I hope you'll find that it's not bad news after all, the story of Herod. We'll see. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Holy One, bring us a word this morning. Inspire our lives. Calm our fears and open our hearts that we might receive the gift of your spirit this morning as we read and reflect on your holy word. Amen. 
So when I was 18 years old, I was a freshman in college, and I was on a budget. My diet consisted of ramen noodles on even days and spaghetti on odd days, and I couldn't afford an airline ticket from Washington, D.C., where I went to college, to Sacramento, which was the nearest airport to my family. And so I bought a ticket on Greyhound because leave the driving to us sounded like a great idea. Well, at least it was a, a cheap idea. I boarded the bus on Washington, D.C. I was planning to go to Chicago and I wedged my two very long legs into the seat covered with fancy velour and I pulled out a good book. Max Weber's The Protestant Work Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism, which was requisite reading for a political science major. So, shortly before we departed, a man sat down next to me, shaved head, missing two front teeth, and after some brief pleasantries, he began to tell me a bit about his life, about being laid off as a result of downsizing, losing his home, losing his wife, losing his children, losing access to health care and dental care, not qualifying for retraining programs. He was headed to Chicago for the only job lead that he had in the 16 months he had been looking for work. He was leaving his family and his home for a chance of a new life, a chance for a future. Well, 13 hours later, we arrived in Chicago and I realized I hadn't read one page of Weber. And instead, I had heard amazing stories of resilience and survival of navigating communities of violence and crime, resisting dehumanizing economic systems that didn't value his skill set anymore, and his desperate, desperate drive to forge a new life for his children so that they weren't stuck in violence and poverty. Then Joseph got up. He took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Just a few days after singing Silent Night right here in this sanctuary by candlelight, we come to Matthew's account of terror and mayhem and flight. This first Sunday after Christmas, our lectionary doesn't allow us to dwell very long on the nostalgic, lovely picture of a baby in a manger. No. Today, we're reminded of the Holy Family fleeing Herod's state-sponsored violence, becoming refugees in Egypt. 
Now, I don't know about you, this is really not the kind of scripture reading or sermon that I wanted this morning, jokes aside, while my Christmas tree is still lit. But on second thought, perhaps in some ways, this text this morning really is at the heart of the Christian message. That is the incarnation. God becoming enfleshed like us, not spared the harsh realities of human displacement. Indeed, it's not hard to read this text of Mary and Joseph fleeing with their newborn child, God made flesh through the lens of our current global refugee crisis. According to the UN High Commission for Refugees, there are approximately 71 million displaced persons around the globe today. Refugees, returnees, stateless persons, internally displaced people, and of these 71 million displaced people, 26 are refugees fleeing violence or persecution. And half of those, 13 million, are children. 13 million baby Jesuses fleeing to Egypt. Rachel wept for the children of Israel, and we weep for children this morning. In Syria, Afghanistan, Venezuela, El Salvador, on our southern border, we weep for children. It seems to me that at the core of the Christmas story is Emmanuel, God with us, a God on the move, calling us into journey, moving beyond the known and the familiar, whether we're being displaced by violence or job loss or displaced by anxiety and grief or fear of the future, we are being invited to recognize Emmanuel, God with us in the precarious, vexing travails of journey. The feminist, the feminist theologian, Nell Morton, in her seminal text, The Journey is Home, whose title I borrowed this morning, puts it this way. Maybe journey is not so much a journey ahead or a journey into space, but a journey into presence. She says the farthest place on earth is the journey into the presence of the nearest person next to you. Now, I could have shut off 
myself from my fellow sojourner here next to me. I could have put my earbuds in and pulled out Weber and read it all the way to Chicago. And yet, had I done so, I would have missed out on the blessing of journeying with another. A very different other, I might add. And I would have missed out of the blessing of noticing that strength for the journey doesn't appear in supernatural acts of magic, but in the recognition of and the openness to the mutuality of our journeys together. Here was Emmanuel sitting right next to me on the bus. I'm reminded of another refugee, a friend of Montview, Arak Garange, who is the founder of one of our mission partners, the Seeds of South Sudan. In his book, entitled Arak's Journey, he describes fleeing his village that was burned to the ground. He fled violence and he writes, I continued walking. And along the way, I met other lost boys. Together, we walked more than 1,000 miles to Ethiopia. There were no adults around to protect us. And yet, he says, and yet, I've always felt God's presence And as we walked, I heard him speak to my heart, whispering, Arak, someday you will return to rebuild your village. Emmanuel on the journey. Of course, we know now Arak works with refugees in the Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya to help children gain access to education and health care. The farthest place on earth is the journey into the presence of the nearest person next to you. Another lost boy of Sudan. God with us. So I'm back on the bus, and my fellow sojourner had left in Chicago, and uh, we were traveling to Omaha. I-80 was shut down because of blowing snowdrifts. It was 40 degrees below with the wind chill, and I I missed my connection to Omaha. Anxiety was quickly growing within me, particularly at the prospect of not arriving home in time for Christmas Eve. Eventually, I got another bus to Salt Lake City. And that's when things got really interesting. So by the time I arrived in the Salt Lake City Greyhound Depot, we were in a complete blizzard. The city was shut down. All outbound transportation services were closed. The bus station, the train station, the airport, 
the car rental agencies. I was quite literally living the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. <laughs> so Greyhound announced that we were going to be spending the night in the bus station, and a small riot broke out. A mob attended to break through the roll-down metal window in the ticket counter to take out all of their frustrations on unsuspecting Greyhound employees. Police soon arrived on the scene, and I got to a payphone. Remember payphones? <laughs> I got on a payphone, and I let my mother know that mm, we were even more delayed. She wasn't pleased. The American Red Cross brought in these scratchy wool blankets, <clears throat> some cots, weak coffee, and runny scrambled eggs. And I grabbed a blanket and I positioned my Samsonite suitcase to sort of function like a pillow. And there on the floor, I wondered. I wondered, well, God, are you asleep? Have you abandoned me? Have you left me? Was I not faithful enough? As I tried to fall asleep, I realized that I was miserable and afraid, sleeping on a cold tile floor with no money left, and the worst thing for an 18-year-old traveling was no snacks. They were all gone. And then, and then, a woman in her 70s who had gotten on the bus in Chicago, who we called Mrs. Smith. We don't know if that was her name. Everyone called her Mrs. Smith, and she did the most amazing thing. She stood up, shaking, balanced, trembling legs on top of a folding chair. And in her raspy, two packs of Marlboro Lights a day voice, she sang, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Bright. And within seconds, the Greyhound bus terminal was singing with her. No more riotous mobs, no more pounding on customer service windows. There, God was showing up in the most unlikely of ways. As God always does, at least for me, in the voice of an old woman. God shows up. No matter how difficult the journey, how, no matter how much we feel abandoned, no matter how much fear we live with, God is in the midst of our journey in unsuspecting and surprising places. 
The next morning was Christmas Eve day. I was pacing and anxious, worried about not making it home for Christmas Eve and the wrath of my loving mother. And the more I was obsessed about getting home in time for Christmas Eve, the more I found myself attached to the destination of my journey. I was so fixated on arriving on time and getting on a bus to Sacramento that I completely missed the PA announcement that said a bus is leaving westbound for Sacramento. Sometimes we are so focused on our journeys about where we are going, where we need to be, arriving at some place, at some destination, that we miss the presence of Emmanuel in our midst. We forget that the journey itself is our home. Lao Tzu, the Chinese philosopher and founder of Taoism, puts it this way. A good traveler has no fixed plans and isn't intent on arriving. Our spiritual Happiness, my friends, is not found at the end of a rainbow somewhere or in the arrival of some social status in our life. It's not even an enlightenment or eternal life in heaven. Spiritual happiness isn't someplace that we need to get to. It is the journey itself. And to be a follower of Jesus means that we are a sojourning people, a people on the move either metaphorically on the move, or for some, like a rock and 71 million of our brothers and sisters, it's not so metaphorical. So when we find ourselves displaced, displaced by an illness or a diagnosis, the death of a loved one, displaced by separation or divorce, or unemployment, or eviction. Whatever our displacement, let us remember the true meaning of Christmas, that God has come in human form to know the pain and suffering of this precarious and fragile thing we call life. That is our Savior, who is no stranger to the journey, who shows up on a walk for a thousand miles to Ethiopia, or who shows up sitting next to us on a bus, or who shows up in the raspy voice singing our beloved Christmas carol, Silent Night. Our refugee, Christ child, not only makes his home in a manger, 
but on a journey, on your journey and mine. Merry Christmas. Amen.